Hello friends! Thank you for joining us and making us a part of your Lenten experience. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be examining Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb offered as a sacrifice for our redemption. We invite you to join us this season through our Lenten study journal and in our Wednesday and Sunday gatherings. You can find more information on our website at ccgf.org. Here is the message from this past Sunday. Grace and peace to you. Well, this morning we are continuing with our Year of Jesus. We just finished up Life of Christ, The Way, and today we begin Life of Christ, The Lamb. This is our Lenten series. The season of Lent has begun. In fact, we've put together this little Lenten study journal. I saw many of you walking in with us today, which is awesome. There's a place for you to take notes on today's sermon, questions you may have, thoughts that may come together. Make a note of those. And not only that, we encourage you to read the devotionals been written by our church leaders every day of the week all 40 days of this journal, there is an opportunity for us during the season of Lent to grow in our experience of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. So please take advantage of this. If you haven't received one yet, they're free of charge to you. Please grab one out in the Mitten Commons at our Connect Center there. We'll help you get one of those things. Now listen, you know, as we begin this series, I, I want you to lean in and consider a couple things as we, we consider the Lamb. And, and first I would say this, come into this, with an open heart and an open mind. Here's why I say that. You know, there are some who have been following Christ for a long time, a number of years. And you might feel like, the temptation is to feel like, well, I kind of know this stuff, right? To feel like we, we know it all. Well, of course, let me tell you, we don't know it all. I'll give you an example. My daughter, Lainey, our youngest one, just this past week, was in the children's ministry. We're so grateful for our children's ministry. And, and she was there with the leaders. And, and one of the leaders was asking a question, evidently, during a group discussion. And, and the question was, what do you struggle with? Well, it got to Lainey, and her answer was, boldly and proudly, I don't struggle with anything. <laughs> Which isn't true. Not at all. In fact, I can make a long list, maybe I will, and send it to the children's ministry leader. Because she has a lot of things she struggles with. Believe me, we can help her church. It's not true, but we have this sometimes dishonest, inaccurate self-appraisal. You might feel like you know all this, but if you really back away from it, there's a lot more for us to know. There's a lot more for you to know. So, so I would encourage you, if you're a person who's been following Christ for a long time, there is more for you. You have not heard it all. Lean in, open heart, open mind. I'm aware that also there are others who are with us today in this room, and worshiping online with us. And maybe what you're going to hear today is totally brand new. Maybe you've never heard this before. I would encourage you to move beyond your preconceived notions about faith, about Jesus Christ. There is an opportunity for you in this series to grow to know Jesus more. In fact, there's an opportunity for, for you to see Jesus for who he is. That's our hope for you, for everyone here. So there's an opportunity for all of us. And you know, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today may even be a little bit disturbing. Have an open heart. Have an open mind as you approach all this. And here's our great hope as a people, that we will know Jesus Christ more. And as a result of that, we will love more. We'll grow to love more. We'll grow to serve more. We will grow to share more. That's our hope as a people. Let's, let's pray about this and ask God 
to give us an open heart and open mind as we approach his word today. Oh, Father, we do come before you, and it's so good for us to sing praises. We want to build our life on you, Lord. We want to build our life on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no other hope for us, God. And so we come before you today, singing in our heart, I will build my life upon your love. Lord, teach us today what that love looks like. I pray that each of us, whether we've been following Christ, been in the church for many years, or if it's all brand new to us, that we would come with open hearts and open minds, and that we would grow in our knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ more. And that as a result, we would grow to love more and serve more and share him more with the world. Open your word to us. Speak to us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to introduce you to what I would consider to be the key verse for this entire series. This would be one to jot down. Maybe you'll commit this to memory during this series. It's John 1.29. This is the gospel of John in the New Testament. Chapter 1, verse 29. Listen to what it says. It references here a John. It's not the author John of the gospel. This can be confusing. It's actually John the Baptist who's speaking here. Check it out. The next day, John Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, he announces to a large crowd, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Key verse. This is really important. Look, the Lamb of God. He announces to the people, Jesus is here. And what he literally is saying, if you go by the Greek word by word, he is saying, look, the Lamb that God sent who picks up and carries away the sin of the world. Major statement. Think about it. This is beautiful. Look, the lamb that God sent. Interesting terminology. Who picks up, I love this, picks up and carries away the sin of the world. Major statement. Not just the Jewish world. Not just the Roman world. But all the world. This is good news for us because it includes the world that we live in. All the people. This is the key verse. And you know, to understand this language that John the Baptist uses, he talks about the Lamb of God, the Lamb that God sent. We have to talk about sin. And we also have to talk about, therefore, sacrifice. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. Now let's talk just a moment about this phenomenon of animal sacrifice. A peculiar thing to a modern people, animal sacrifice. You know, nearly every culture throughout history has employed sacrifice of animals to quench the anger of, uh, I'm sorry, to quench uh, an angry, and I'll use a small g here, God. Nearly every culture in the history of the world has done this. We tend to think this very primitive. We tend to think it ignorant. But to be faithful to Scripture we can't be quite so dismissive. Because if you read the book of Genesis, and you read about Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, you will find that they included sacrifice as a part of their worship. And you might wonder, why? Why? This, it seems ignorant. It seems so abased. Uh, why do they do this? Well, you have to start with this understanding. God is righteous. God is holy, and human sin is deeply offensive to God. Because of this, sin must be cleansed. 
because of the holy and righteous nature of God. We can't approach His holy presence without first being cleansed of our sin. You know, I mentioned this idea of all the cultures of the world presenting sacrifice as a way of quenching the anger of God. Is that a part of this kind of sacrifice? Is the anger of God a part of the equation? Well, I think if we search the Scriptures and we're really honest and don't try to explain what the Bible says away, I think you will find this to be true, that, that God is angry. That's not His only quality. Let's not limit God to anger. There are many other qualities that we could use to describe God. However, we, we can't escape the fact, as we look at particularly the Old Testament, we will find that there is an anger that God is presented with because of not humanity, not people. God's not mad necessarily at the people. What he is angry about is sin. He's angry with sin. This is strong. God hates sin. God hates sin. Not only because it dishonors him, but because it damages me. Sin damages you. Sin damages us. You know, I know this. It's even looking out. I know that some are living right now in the reality of that. The damage that sin brings to this world, the damage that sin brings to, to families, the, the damage that sin brings to your personal life. You're living through that. Others will say, you know, I don't understand this. What, what's this about anger and about sin and, and why is this? Well, Maybe consider a couple simple examples. Maybe some not that simple. I heard a few years ago, I saw a post on Facebook, and, and there was a person who had their kids in a car. There was a mom with her kids, and they were out running errands. They stopped back home, and evidently the mom ran back into the house to take care of, of some things, to grab something, to bring it back into the car, and she left the little kids in the car for just a few moments unattended. They got out of their seats, and somehow they found Sharpies. And they took those Sharpies, and they didn't write on their skin. They didn't write on a piece of paper. They used the Sharpies on leather upholstery, drew pictures, squiggly lines everywhere. Can you imagine how angry this parent would be? Wouldn't you be angry at this? I mean, I'm angry just thinking about it, just right now. They damaged something beyond repair, potentially, that's very expensive. Can you see how sin or wrongdoing can bring about anger? A much more serious example is this. You know, imagine, and this is even, I hate to present it this way, but at the same time, I think making it personal for a moment in our imaginations is helpful. Imagine that your spouse was unfaithful to you. Now, that's a very hard thing to imagine. But just put yourself in those shoes for a moment. And let's say that that that, that that break in trust winds up in a divorce for you. I mean, wouldn't you be angry about that set of circumstances? More importantly, wouldn't you be hurt, brokenhearted, because of what sin had introduced to your family, to your marriage relationship? And by the way, those who are divorced know the damage that sin brings about in relationships, in the human heart. We have brothers and sisters in our church family, who have experienced and endured this kind of pain. Would you please care for them? It's important. 
We must care for them. Look, sin. Sin is, I mean, honestly, it's nasty, right? It ends up in hurt. It ends up being something that causes anger. And what animal sacrifice teaches us is the seriousness of sin. Do you hear me? In our culture, we excuse the seriousness of sin. We act like it's no big deal. We'll actually say that. It's no big deal. No. This, this text shows us that indeed sin is something to be taken very seriously. So let's go to our main text. You've already heard AK, who I'm really grateful for her leadership here. She's read this passage. We're in the book of Leviticus, uh, or as some of you know it, uh, one of the flyover books of the Bible. You know, one of those ones you just kind of scoop by. We're in Leviticus today, and we're not going to scoot through it. We're going to look at deeply, you know, and, and, and Leviticus 1 through 7 includes direction by God for sacrifices, specifically. We're not going to cover all seven chapters. I'm going to give you a speedy breakdown of sacrifice. And we're going to begin, actually, in Leviticus 5, just after what AK has read. And I want you to turn there with me if you have your Bible or if you're following along the screens. Write down some notes. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 5. We're in the Old Testament. One of the first five books of the Bible. And we're looking at Leviticus 5, 5, and 6. Check it out. We're talking about this animal sacrifice idea. Listen to what the Bible says. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, I like the way it phrases that. When you become aware that you're guilty in any matter, they must confess in what way they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. Now, as we begin talking about the animal sacrifice, I wanted to share this, this verse because it kind of sums up the instructions here and where this comes from, this idea. And, and I want to point out to you two words. You might underline them. One word is the word confess. Do you see it there? They must confess in what they have sinned. And the second word is atonement. Confession is indispensable whenever we think about sacrifice, when we're thinking about this, this principle of animal sacrifice. Confession is important. In other words, acknowledging, owning up to the sin, becoming aware that you're guilty, and owning it saying, I have sinned. That's a really important component that we can't just glaze over, that we can't just blow off. We have to understand that it's a serious thing. And then there's this word atonement that's introduced to us. It's a big word. And it really helps us understand once again that, that the idea of animal sacrifice, taking a life, is not a trivial thing. I want you to understand this. You know, many of us love animals. And we look and say, man, how could the Bible be so callous? No, no. The Bible takes this seriously. It acknowledges what a great cost this is. So look at, at another verse in Leviticus. We're going to jump around here just a little bit in our speedy breakdown. Uh, Leviticus, look at this one. It's 17.11, I believe. And it says this, the life of a creature is in the blood. And I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The blood essentially is paying for the sin. It's a ransom, so to speak, for the sin. This is a big deal. And in Hebrew, that word atonement, it means to wipe clean, to purge. The blood is wiping clean. It's purging of sin, of wrongdoing. This is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that cleanses from sin. 
Okay, let's go back to Leviticus. We've kind of set the tone here. There's confession. This general idea of atonement, this wiping clean. The first step is confession. Now pick up in Leviticus 4.32, and the Scripture says this. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they're to bring a female without defect. A female without defect. Here's the thing I would want to point out very quickly to you, is that this animal with no defect would have been very, very costly. This is not something that you part with easily. This is something that has been kept aside, been kept in a certain way that it has no defect. And so this animal was precious, very valuable, very costly. The first thing we notice once we confess our sin is that the animal that's involved is very costly. Back to the text, Leviticus 4.33. They, the person who's bringing the lamb as a sin offering, are to lay their hand on its head. This let me stop there for a moment. They're to lay the hand on the head. Laying hands on the head of the animal. This was, this was symbolically showing that the person's sin is being imparted to the animal. It's a symbolic thing, not a magic thing. It's a symbolic thing. Imagine this. A whole family would have been participating in this. A whole family coming alongside an animal that was beloved. One that they really cared for, they'd seen grow up on their property, on their land. And they would put their hand, gather and put their hand on the head. They'd consider the sin of the family. Kids would grow up understanding this, knowing this principle. It, it, the person's sin is imparted symbolically. Again, go back to Leviticus. It says something more about this. Leviticus 16, 21 says this. They are to lay their are, I'm sorry, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, to put them on the goat's head. It's the symbolic impartation of our sin on the animal. Okay, back to the text. So they lay their hand on the head, verse 33 continues, and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. <laughs> okay, so now we get into the slaying of the animal. You know, we're repulsed by this idea of, of killing an animal. Just this morning, as I preached this once already today, my sister sent a text with a picture of the family dog, Ellie, to me this morning and said, Ellie doesn't like your sermon. <laughs> I get it. And we don't like this part of it either. But, but listen, our ancestors were herdsmen. They were farmers. We don't routinely butcher animals, drain them of their blood, cut them up. We don't, we don't do that. In fact, the closest thing that happens for me in that way is a piece of styrofoam with some cold meat and with some butcher wrap around it, right? That, that's the closest I get to that. Most of us will eat the meat, but we're insulated from the killing. We don't see that. Well, the Israelites were well aware, they were well aware of that blood was required. They had seen this play out. They were well aware the blood was required in taking a life. So we see the confession and this, this picture of atonement through the animal sacrifice. We see the confession. We see the, 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 the perfect animal without defect, the laying on of the hands, the slaughtering of the animal. It continues in, in Leviticus 4.34. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger 
and put it on the horns of the altar, burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And so here we see the collection of blood. And blood is significant in this whole picture. This, this people, these Israelites, these ancients, did not take this lightly. This was not a delightful thing. It was a painful thing. It was a horrific thing. And all because of sin. They poured out that blood at the altar. And I'll, I'll remind you again of what Leviticus 17, 11 said. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. That's important. It's the blood. Save that for later. That makes atonement for one's life. All this happening. And then we finish this part of the text. Leviticus 4.35 They shall remove all the fat just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. In this way, in this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. There's another thing to underline and they will be forgiven. So the final analysis of this little teaching here about ancient animal sacrifice, I think we see this. Number one, confession of sin is necessary. That's clear from this. Do you see that? We also see that, that, that there's costliness of sin that is very evident. That's, that's there as well. There's also this interesting close identification between sinner and sacrifice. This really close identification, putting the hand. I think that's really interesting. The animal becomes a substitute. And then there's this important principle of the cleansing by blood that's introduced here. And then very close to home, this whole experience, the killing of the animal is personal. It's personal, it's painful. It's actually done by the sinner himself. Hmm. What a picture, very graphic. And this picture teaches us about sin. It teaches us about holiness. It teaches us about confession. It teaches us about forgiveness. It teaches us about the horror of sin, the costliness of sin. We see it all right here. So back to our key verse, John 1.29. When John the Baptist proclaims, he does this knowingly, he says, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Man, it's a loaded statement. It's a great picture. John the Baptist is speaking from this context. It's weird to us. It's unusual to us. Seems peculiar to us, but to this people, they were locked in. They, they understood that he was making a bold, big statement by referring to Jesus Christ as the lamb that God sent. Hey, listen, it fits. This is who Jesus is. It fits. Jesus is perfect. The, the animal was without defect. Jesus Christ is perfect. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the scripture teaches us. Yeah, you know what? God is angry at sin. He despises sin. But God delights. He's joyful at the thought of us trusting in his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the holy one. There's great joy in Jesus seeing you trust in Jesus Christ. 
way more than he hates the sin. There's rejoicing because Jesus Christ is the perfect one. We put our faith in him. It's beautiful to God. You know, the, the, the image of the lamb not only fits Jesus because he is without defect, he is perfect, but also because of the costly nature of his death, the costly death. You know, we've sang a song in this church, and, and maybe you've heard it before, Here I Am to Worship, and there's a part of that song that you repeat and you sing, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. And we sing it over and over again, I'll never know how much it costs. You think you know, do we think we know this stuff? Are you kidding me? We'll never know. We'll never fully understand how much it costs. The depths of God's love, the depths of God's grace, do you hear this? Are unsearchable. His precious son, not cavalierly shared with the world, not thoughtlessly led to the slaughter, but lovingly given. That's how much God loved the world. He gave his only son. We'll never know how much it costs. Jesus Christ is perfect. He is costly, just like that, that sacrificial lamb. And here's the thing, he atoned. We talk about that word atonement. That word atonement that we said, it, it, it talks about a sacrifice that cleanses from sin. Well, Jesus Christ, through his death, he atones for all humanity, all humanity once and for all. Some of you think, you're sitting here today and you think, you know, I've gone too far. I've gone too far. I've sinned too much. My life is in shambles. Think again. Think again. It's not too far. It's not, it's not unquenchable. God's mercy is far-reaching. God's mercy is far-reaching through Jesus Christ. And when it says here for all, Jesus Christ has died. He has been sacrificed. So that it could be said to you, here is Christ. Here is Jesus. If you believe in Jesus Christ, everything he bought through his sacrificial death will be bought for you. Bought for you, if you will have it. If you will have it. Will you have it? Will you take this? Will you be convicted that, that you're aware? Will you become aware that you are guilty in these matters? And will you recognize that, that Jesus Christ is here for you? It's right here for the taking. And everything he bought through his sacrificial death, it's all yours. He bought it for you, if you will have it. You know, Jesus, man, this whole picture of the sacrificial lamb, it helps us understand the cross. We're on this Lenten journey, the road to Resurrection Sunday, the road to Easter. We'll be worshiping here with a wonderful, powerful service on Good Friday. Look, this all helps us understand the cross in a deeper way. Look, it's the blood. It's the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross. His sacrificial life that makes it just like that lamb. I'll point you to another scripture. This is, this is Hebrews chapter 4. I'm sorry, 10. Verses 4 through 7. And also read verse 10. Hebrews 10. Check it out. Listen to this. The writer says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Do you hear that? It's impossible. These sacrifices, they can't really take away sins. In the truest sense, it says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared to me, speaking to the Father. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, 
Jesus, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. This is sacrificial language. He's saying, I've come to do your will. I've come to prepare myself and give myself as a sacrifice. And now look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body, the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It's Jesus' blood poured out on the cross. You know, we've sang a song famously in the church, another one. What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, it's only his blood. It's the blood of Jesus. Again, I imagine some may say, how horrible all this killing is, all this blood is. It is horrible. And it causes us to think about, listen, our own sin. To become aware of our own sin and our own rebellion against God. How horrible. The sacrifice that my sin requires that I might be cleansed and forgiven. How horrible it is. But thanks be to God. You know, we pass over sin. We make it to be something trivial. It is not. It is not something serious. You know, today, we're going to have the opportunity in a moment. Pastor Mike's going to come up, and he's going to lead us through the sacrament of communion. And you know, during communion, there's some words you're going to hear. And when Jesus says, this is my body given for you, it's sacrificial language. He's referring to the sacrifice of his body. His body given for us. When Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for you, sacrificial language, the Lamb of God. You know, I've been thinking about this this week and thinking, okay, what does this look like in real life? How do you apply all of this? There's a great story, a great testimony that actually took place in this room just a week ago, a story of a husband and a wife. Pastor Ed just ministered to us so powerfully last week, a great service. Hundreds of people came forward for healing. And one of the people who came forward was a husband, a husband who came up to the altar. And he stood in front of all people when he came forward to receive prayer, his wife. And his wife was standing there and she put her hands out and she greeted her husband and she said, well, what's going on? And he said, you know, something about, he he had this feeling in his stomach and and he came forward and she took that as, hey, the Holy Spirit's working here. He's got this feeling in his gut. But he went on to say, actually, the, the feeling in his gut, he was actually sick. He wasn't feeling well. But she didn't pray for his stomach. This woman said to her husband, she said, do you believe in God and that, that he is who he says he is? Do you believe in God? Do you believe who he says he is? And the husband said, yeah, I do. And she looked at him and says, do you want to invite Jesus into your life? And he said, yes, I do. And so they embraced. She, she put her hand on his head, wrapped him in the arms, 
you know, people are looking at this probably and thinking, these people really pray in emotional ways. Someone said, get a room. No, look, no, they're husband and wife. This is good. This is all good. What an emotion. What a beautiful picture. They embraced. They wept. The wife even realized on the way home, she said, I didn't even pray for a stomach. I forgot all about it. She prayed for his salvation. And she told me that she said, I'm in awe that I got to pray with my husband. After years of praying, I got this. What does it look like? It looks like this, coming to the altar of our lives, so to speak. And in our own way, putting our hand on Jesus and saying, Jesus, I've sinned. Forgive me of my anger. Forgive me of my rebellion. Forgive me for the sins I've committed that I'm aware of and that I'm unaware of. Jesus, I'm asking you to be my sacrifice. To be just what that man did, to come forward and say, I need a savior. I need a sacrifice to cover and pay for my sin. And that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. That is what it looks like. You know, the wife told me that as she was thinking about this this week, she was worried that she didn't, quote, do it right. That she didn't say the right words. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is, the right words, there are no magic words. And I would suggest as you consider all this message and the picture of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and we consider what it means to our understanding of Jesus and the cross, that we could keep it really simple today. Really simple. And here are the words I believe that we could say to God today, that we could cry out to Jesus today. Here they are. And I want you to leave this on the screen, please. The words are this. Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. Very simple. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus my Lord. Yeah, could we say a lot more? We could, but simply put, Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus my Lord. You might today during communion, you might write that down right now as it's on the screens. And as you partake of the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus' blood and by his body, that you may say, oh God, forgive me, Lord, for my sins. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus my Lord, forgive me. You may have that moment. You may do that through prayer today. You know, our prayer and care team isn't just here last week. They're here every week. We'll have people standing by every Sunday ready to pray for you. Do you have a need? Any need. Any need at all. Go and pray. Receive healing. Receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Give your burden to another person. Go and do that today as we sing the song at the end of the service. Make that move. Any need at all. And, and here's the way you could pray. You could pray and say, forgive me, Lord, for my sins. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus my Lord, this prayer is for you. If, if you can't remember a time, if you can't remember a time when you asked God to forgive your sins, this prayer is for you. Very simply put, to say, oh yeah, I'm aware of my sins all of a sudden. I'm aware of the pain of sin. I'm aware of the ugliness of it. I'm aware of the heartbreak of sin. And I need a sacrifice. I need a Savior Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus, my Lord. If you can remember a time, if you can remember a time and think back when you've said to God, Lord, forgive me my sins, here's the thing. You have an opportunity to grow deeper with Jesus today. And you might begin by saying this simple prayer to the Lord today in faith. 
Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus, my Lord. Let's give you a chance to pray right now, even just briefly, this moment. Consider all these things. Lord, thank you for your word. How powerful, Lord, it is. And Lord, these things can be difficult for us to understand. But we are grateful for the way that you have expressed your love to the world to cover the heartbreak and the ugliness and the pain of sin through the one and only sacrifice of Jesus our Lord. And so God, we stand before you today and we cry out, Lord, that we need an acceptable sacrifice. We are aware of our sins. And so God, very simply, we say to you today, in faith, we say together that we need a Savior. And so God, would you hear us as we faithfully pray and share our heart with you saying, forgive me, Lord, for my sins. In the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus, my Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. We praise you and love you, O oh Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.